Hi, and welcome to Be More Now. My name is Blake Moore, and for tonight's show, I'm interviewing author, filmmaker, and Phoenix Lights experiencer, Dr. Lynn Kitai. We'll be discussing Dr. Lynn's firsthand account of the mysterious V-shaped orbs that flew over the state of Arizona on March 13, 1997, an event that has permanently impacted her life as well as the lives of thousands of other eyewitnesses. But first, here's the official trailer of Phoenix Lights, the movie that Dr. Lynn produced in 2010. I know that I did everything in my power as an individual, as a scientist, as a learned person, to find a logical explanation for what I witnessed and photographed. I have yet to find it. If anything, it has opened up a whole new world to me that I never knew existed. It's time we get this out in the open. Address it, accept it, and study it. When there's a documentary that shows that there's a whole bunch of us that have managed to suspend our disbelief long enough to listen to each other and to inquire and to share, that it really brings the sharing closer. And more people will come forward and share. And pretty soon it'll be a groundswell. The whole purpose is to educate people, educate young people, because there'll they'll come a time where they're going to have to deal with this and it shouldn't be through fear. I'm excited that children might have the chance to really examine data themselves, to not be convinced by the opinions of people before them positively or negatively, but to really have data that they can start making their own decision. We have to learn it at all generational levels and bringing the children up uh, to understand these phenomena is vital. So before I bring up the interview I did with Dr. Lynn Kitai earlier this week, I want to tell you a bit about her background. Dr. Lynn Kitai, MD, is an internationally acclaimed physician and health educator for over 40 years, who pushed aside her accomplished medical career to pursue answers for the silent, mile-wide, and larger V, delta, and boomerang-shaped objects that were witnessed by over 10,000 people on March 13, 1997 throughout Arizona as well as over Nevada, New Mexico, and California for more than a dozen hours. She also photographed these true unknowns called the Phoenix Lights up close and personal prior to, then during, and after what is now hailed as the most witnessed, most documented, and most important mass anomalous sightings in modern history. Dr. Lin was leading the cutting-edge era of early disease detection and prevention as chief clinical consultant of the Imaging Prevention Wellness Center at the world-renowned Arizona Heart Institute in Phoenix, Arizona, until coming forward in 2004, after seven years of anonymity and intense research as a key witness to the still unexplained mass UFO events. She has appeared on hundreds of national and international TV and radio programs, including Coast to Coast, The History Channel, Science Channel, CW, Travel, Discovery, and National Geographic channels. She has also recently released her updated fourth editions of her best-selling Phoenix Lights, A Skeptic's Discovery, That We Are Not Alone book. Dr. Lynn, welcome to Be More Now. It is so exciting to be talking to you. Well, it's a pleasure to be talking 
with you as well, Blake, and I, I'm so glad that we got a chance to, to share one of the most important, uh, most witnessed, most documented um, mass unexplained sightings, uh, aerial sightings in modern history. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, why don't you talk a little bit about your background and then lead that into the Phoenix Lights and what those are. Well, it's really ironic, uh, actually, and I, I did not want to come forward. I stayed anonymous for seven years after thousands, over 10,000. We're, we're thinking even closer to 20,000 people saw such incredible uh, technology, which we can get into right over their heads, literally over their heads, uh, rooftop level, totally silent. And uh, I had been actually documenting these anomalous aerial phenomena for two years prior to the mass sighting on March 13, 1997. But again, what was ironic is that after I found out that thousands of people saw what I had been not only witnessing but documenting on 35-millimeter film, and up close and personal, we can get into that, two years before the mass sighting, and then on video as well, and my video has become actually the signature video of the three endpoints of a mile-wide V or triangle over the city, if people have seen that in other reports. And um, because my background has been community education for over 40 years of vital health issues, and uh, we're talking starting in medical school uh, in 76, I started doing health tips on NBC in Philadelphia, and then syndication grew from that. And when we moved to Phoenix in 1980, they were actually showing this indication of 120, 60 to 90 second pieces on the news at CBS here. And then I did a stint at um, NBC here in Phoenix in the early 80s. And by 85, I was seeing kids uh, in the practice and my, my background as uh, adolescent medicine that were drowning in substance abuse and wanted to do something really productive and thought-provoking and informative and fun uh, to wake them up to the reality of substance abuse and started my company, Health Education Learning Programs, Help Incorporated, and produced video and workbooks curriculum that was so uh, amazing and, and lauded and won all kinds of awards. I had kids that had been there, experts in the field, and then I brought in my other hat, um, before medical school, I actually uh, was in professional musical theater from the time I was eight years old. I toured with Gordon McRae in Oklahoma and Betty Grable in Guys and Dolls and understudied Barbara Eden in Sound of Music and a whole host of other things. Um, so I kind of combined all that and started doing these health tips and, um, and then started the company in 85. And the first one was so successful uh, that uh, we had amazing celebrities from the original cast from Beverly Hills 90210 to uh, Paula Abdul and Sylvester Stallone and um, Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan um, because people were asking for other topics as well. So we ended up doing an AIDS prevention education video as well as uh, the substance abuse and teen pregnancy prevention as well. And I was actually working on a gang program when uh, serendipitously, uh, both my husband, who's also a physician and a healthy skeptic, I have to tell you, we had no interest or knowledge in this topic at all before uh, we actually witnessed and photographed 35 millimeter. If anybody out there wants to get onto the Phoenix Lights Network website, uh, you have to just put 
Phoenix Lights, it'll come up uh, on Google or Phoenix Lights Network. Um, and go to the photo page, you'll see my unique collection of 35-millimeter uh, photographs. But anyway, we had a very close <laughs> sighting. And I always go back to this sighting, Blake, because not only was it um, earth-shattering for me, I mean, it was just mind-boggling, um, but I have 35-millimeter photographs of it, of these three orbs that were in a pyramid formation, one on top and two closely aligned underneath, right outside our bedroom window. We live uh, pretty high on a mountain in Paradise Valley overlooking the Valley of the Sun, they call it, uh, Phoenix, and have a panoramic view. And again, if you go to the photo page, you can see the topography uh, that overlooks uh, the mountains in the distance as well as the airport and the whole city skyline. So we know what helicopters and street lights and car lights and et cetera look like and this was literally and figuratively right outside our bedroom window and we're pretty high and they were a little below us and my husband happened to be at our window one wall of our bedroom is a window so anything that pops up out there we usually uh take notice but this was close and they were three distinct objects and i really tried to take everything in mentally coming from a video background i wanted to run downstairs and get my camera but and i've heard this from so many other people they're, you're just in awe and awe-stricken. You don't want to move because you don't know how long it's going to take so, um, or how long they're going to be there. So I tried to take everything in mentally, the size, the shape, the color. They were about three to six feet each, depending on how close they were. They were definitely oval-shaped. Now, I always, you know, what popped in my mind was like an egg on its side, and they were very closely aligned, but it's interesting especially to me, it blew me away, when I heard recently in the last couple of years Navy pilots are now coming forward, and we can get to that because it's really changed the landscape now that the military and government are admitting that they're studying um, these phenomena and actually been studying them for decades. Um, but at any rate, the Navy pilots are now describing their sightings, these anomalous aerial phenomena, as being tic-tac, like, a, like an oval shape which, you know, I was, like, taken back when I, when I started hearing that, or like a lozenge, which is exactly what these were. And they were objects. And I, you know, I, they, they, there was a uniform amber color throughout. They didn't glare at all. Every other light out there glared. They were so unusual. And I thought, if, if I don't get a picture of this, and, again, I'm a healthy skeptic. I've got to see it to believe it. And I was seeing something that I just couldn't imagine was here. And um, ran to the closet to grab my camera, my 35 millimeter that I collect sunsets. I love sunsets. Um, and my husband called me back. He said, get over here quick. One of them is disappearing. And as we watched, and again, I always go back to this sighting because this was up close and personal. The top orb without, and I called an orb because the light did not extend outside the edge. It was self-contained. And again, it was a uniform amber color throughout. Started to shrink like, like uh, the only thing I can liken it to was like a dimmer switch. Like it just started getting smaller and smaller mechanically as if there was an intelligent presence that was doing this, okay? And, and when it was pea-sized and finally disappeared, what was just mind-boggling is that even though we didn't see it, it still felt like it was there. Where did it go? Okay, um, I jumped out on the balcony and got a picture of the two lower orbs, and they're on the photo page on the Phoenix Lights Network um, website uh, as clear as can be, the two lower, lower orbs, and immediately noticed an eerie silence as if time had stopped. 
It was just bizarre. And as intently as I was staring at these two lower orbs, and I did not admit this to a soul until after the mass sighting two years later, but it felt like something was watching me. And going through my mind, I was thinking, who are you? What are you? Do you know that I'm here? I'd love to meet you. That's exactly what I was thinking. The next thing I remember, the left bottom orb started to shrink, just like the top one did. And something told me to take a picture, and I clicked the picture of that. That was the only picture, and it's on the photo page, that turned out at the time. And it's miraculous that it did. It was a cheap 35-millimeter Instamatic camera. But I caught one orb half disappeared and one still there. It's right there in the picture. It's a 35 millimeter. It's in the negative. It cannot be denied. And I have gone to extreme lengths to have all my 35 millimeter photographs analyzed and authenticated by military and university optical experts, and not one. And all these years, it's 25 years later almost, that, well, it is 25 years later from that, not one has been able to explain what they are, only what they're not. <laughs> right, and <laughs> so that's anyway. so interesting. I know, yeah. I, knowing that we were going to talk and also appreciating that you're a healthy skeptic and also recognizing that my audience, this is not a UFO crowd, so to speak, but I really believe that this idea that's really coming forward because of the military admitting things and because of all these studies that are being released, kind of also in the fact that there's all this worldwide disclosure of a lot of things that human beings have kind of had inklings of but never really understood and with all the conspiracy theories everything else i just want to throw as much light and information on the different sides and have intelligent people such as yourself communicate to the audience your experience period and what's interesting is i looked you up on google and again and again and again and all the the links were saying how this has been debunked and it's not real and it's not real and so here in your explanation Everyone's saying it's flares, it's, you know, the military. The military is, is admitted that they were going into the Barry Goldwater base and that they were doing these exercises. When you hear that, what do you say to that? Well, now that's a really good question. Yeah, <laughs> Because, right? again, as a healthy skeptic, I wondered for two years what this advanced technology was doing right outside my bedroom window. In fact, I was so far away from the topic, I never went there. I mean, all the conspiracy theories, as you said, and the abduction stuff, which I don't get into at all, um, just was so foreign to me that I, I didn't even seek anybody out to look at the pictures at the time, but wondered what this advanced technology was doing right outside our bedroom window. I figured, geez, I'm a pretty educated person. If I didn't know about this stuff, I'm sure a lot of other people don't know about this, but I, I, I had no idea that this existed, right? So it took two years, two years later, and I will get to your answer because your question, I will answer your question in a second, because two years later, I happened to notice three huge amber balls far west out of our window while I'm laying in bed, and I thought, to, and they were in a line formation. I'm thinking, wait a minute, they're huge, they're amber color. They're in a line formation, equidistant from each other, strangely similar to 95. And I just watched them. Uh, and, and by the way, I mean, as, as enthralled as I was with it, my husband didn't want to hear about it or talk about the close sighting, which was kind of weird to me. But <laughs> be that as it may, he, when I said, you know, uh, I mean, uh, I, I'm watching them, each 
shrink from right to left, and they were gone. I mentioned it to him, and he said, do I still have to go to work tomorrow? I mean, that was his attitude. Um, everybody comes from a different background, different upbringing, different belief systems. Some people can't deal with this topic. Some people don't want to, and that's okay. That's okay, everyone in their own time. But I have to say, the next night, he was at a medical board meeting. He was on several medical and hospital uh, boards. And I noticed the same three huge amber orbs in a line formation, equidistant from each other, but now they were south, like in front of the, the airport, where the airport, Sky Harbor International Airport was. And I knew that they were in front of the mountain there. And again, if you go to the photo page, you'll see the topography. And I'll, uh, I'll get to something very interesting about yeah, that. Yeah, and I want listeners yeah. to know that I will put the link up on the KZWX website under the show listing under Be More Now programming. So that way you can oh, just go great. right there that's and get great. it. That's great. But anyway, I'm, I noticed that they were in front of the mountain because there's red light blinking lights on the top of the mountain, big mountain there, South Mountain, um, that alert planes coming into Sky Harbor. So I thought, okay, enough. I'm getting my video camera. I grabbed it, I, and it was fully charged. I go out to the, um, to the pool area in front of the house, and I got about 18 seconds worth the battery goes dead which was kind of weird to begin with, and I go in and I hook it up. It's about 8 o'clock. 8.30, my husband comes up the drive, and I go outside. I said, honey, remember I told you about the three equidistantly spaced orbs last night far west? Well, about a half an hour ago, they were right in front of South Mountain. As I'm pointing with my hand, they reappeared in the same spot. It was like, oh, my goodness, and I run upstairs, and I, I don't believe in coincidence anymore, Blake. I mean, there are so many serendipities, and if people pick up the book, which was a 750-page journal seven years later, I'll get to that, um, that I condensed the best of what I compiled and found. Um, it, it, I mean, it was just unbelievable that it, that it actually popped up in the same location, and I thought, oh, my goodness, I've got to get a, a picture of this. Now, video which was being charged, doesn't do it ju- the lights justice. They're much smaller, they're white, they flicker, which, by the way, we'll get to gave whoever came up with the idea about flares. It was a perfect out for them. But in 35 millimeter, and nobody knew I had 35 millimeter, you can see they're amber and they don't flicker, obviously. And anyway, I grab my 35 millimeter. As I'm ready to get out on the balcony to take a picture, suddenly six across on top of the three, massive span over a mile wide, pop up, equidistantly spaced. And it was like, I mean, I started to shake. In fact, the, the not having an explanation for 95, two years before, the close sighting, um, just going through my head, is this a fleet? Or, I mean, it's like nothing you've ever seen before. It was so massive across. And I, I, you can see the first picture that I took was actually wavy because I was shaking, okay? But I kept clicking away, thank goodness, because... The second picture, which has a bright light in the center with two on each side, is a V. I mean, it's, it's, I'm catching it head on. And so many people, thousands of people, would describe two, month, two months later. Now, this was January of 97. Two months later, March 13th, during the mass sighting, five lights in a V with two trailing, and there's two underneath those five lights, right? So I caught a picture of the same exact thing that people would describe two months later during the historic mass sighting in, Jan- in fa- January of 97. Wow. And I got it on 35 millimeter. Anyway, as I'm shooting, this thing turns, and you can see that it's turning. So I caught, like, the side view of it. 
Well, I did not sleep well that night, but I figured, look, there must be a logical explanation. Again, I'm a healthy skeptic, so I called around the next morning. Long story short, I found air traffic controllers at Sky Harbor International Airport who saw the same thing at the same time, and they were blown away that I had seen it at a distance. They were very forthcoming initially, and what they described was six points of light totally equidistant from each other, massive span over a mile wide, over Class B restricted airspace. Now, there's a 30-mile area around the the, um, center of the airport, the tower, where anybody that comes into that airspace must call into the tower, and no one did. So they were alarmed. They looked on radar. Nothing showed up on radar. In fact, they mentioned that they saw the 8 o'clock sighting, too. Okay, of, of the three lights, and they looked on radar, and it was over this restricted airspace. Then they disappeared. Then at 8.30, they popped up again, and then they were really alarmed because nothing showed up on radar. They took their high-powered binoculars to look, and again, in their own words, there were six points of light, totally equidistant from each other, massive span over a mile wide, that seemed to be attached to something, but they couldn't quite see what these lights were attached to or had a force field holding them in rock-solid formation. And one of them was a meteorologist and piped in and said the entire thing turned as a unit against the wind. That's really important, too, because some guy just came out with a thing that that, that was wind carrying the Phoenix lights. I mean, it was just ridiculous. But anyway, it, it, it turned as a unit against the wind, elevated slowly and then moved behind South Mountain in synchrony, as he said. So I said, what was it? And there was silence. And then one of them pipes in, beats me. I said, your air traffic controllers. <laughs> You're supposed to know it's in our airspace. A whole group saw this, and they had no idea. They ruled out every conventional aircraft, balloons, Chinese lanterns, um, uh, holograms, I mean, they, flares, they... they they actually ruled out every single thing that could possibly be. And we kept in contact up until and including March 13th. Now, March 13th, this is two months later, for me it was just another night. But thousands of people, thousands of tens of thousands, were outside looking up purposely at the sky, another little coincidence, at the Hale-Bob Comet, when they also caught a glimpse of these mile, and here we're, here's where it really gets interesting, Blake. Mile two, we learned a couple years ago from the National UFO Reporting Center, Peter Davenport announced that from all, I mean, he received thousands of reports of the mass sighting, that in his estimation, one of the objects was eight miles wide. Now, let me go back here. People were seeing orbs, these orbs, information as well as craft, actual gunmetal bottom craft with windows, okay, going at rooftop level, gliding right over their heads. Some people saw these take off at blink speed without even dispersing the air. Others saw these orbs detach from the main object, go out into the environment, and then redock with it later, which is interesting if you go back to the 95 sighting on the photo page. And, you know, for, for, for time, I'm going to share this now because that's a whole, a whole other story with, with the 95 sighting and how it was analyzed by Dr. Bruce McAbee, Navy optical physicist. But if you look at those pictures, and, and I always say the data speaks for itself, just look at it, the same exact 
phenomena, the same exact formation, was in the same exact location two, year, two months before and two years before during that 95 sighting as during the mass sighting, and which is interesting because when people started talking about these orbs detaching from the main object and going out into the environment, is that what happened to us in 95? I don't know. I'll leave it for whoever's listening to decide. But be that as it may, the technology itself, Blake, was so outrageous that, I mean, it's just unbelievable, the, the advanced technology that we have not seen in over, uh, you know, since 1997, okay? We haven't seen anything that comes close to that technology. Plus, after a 12-year study, and if people go on the website, Phoenix Lights Network website, and go to the GAP page, G-A-P, Geospatial Animation Project, a 12-year meticulous study of hundreds and hundreds of reports, actually probably thousands, from the National UFO Reporting Center in Seattle, Washington, Arizona MUFON Mutual UFO Network, uh, Village Labs, which was a com- huge computer lab here near Arizona State University that was really the clearinghouse for many of the reports, as well as Councilwoman Vice Mayor, Phoenix Councilwoman Vice Mayor Francis Barwood, who is the only elected official the only elected official who innocently, she didn't see it, but so many of her um, constituents were contacting her asking why isn't there an investigation or an explanation, which is another issue we'll get into in a sec. In May, months later, she asked innocently for an investigation. She was plastered by the media there. We, we have come so far, and, and I know you want to talk about that, and I will get to that, um, since 95. But at any rate, from a 12-year study of all these Uh, reports, meticulously detailed reports, and two or more people had to see the same craft, actual craft, to be in this study. There were 10 different craft. Now, to looking different, or the perspective from where the person was standing, or a parade. And that's ultimately what the investigators concluded, because not only were there 10 different craft, and there were different things happening at the same time in different areas. But we're talking not one or two hours, as you'll read from the media, okay? Yes, from 8 to 10 is when most of the calls came in to news stations and whatever, because that's when most people were outside looking up at the sky at the hale Comet. But the actual sighting on March 13th began at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, daylight sightings, 5 o'clock, they were actually reported from Native Americans in New Mexico. Seven o'clock hour, and for several hours after, they were reported in California. And then the 11 o'clock hour, there's actually a story that I tell in the book, and it took the pilot many years to come forward to me. The book is now in its fourth print. And I kept adding as things were evolving, and they certainly were, I have to tell you. But at, at, at any rate, um, she tells the story that they were leaving from Phoenix to California, and as they were approaching Vegas, uh, suddenly they see this massive craft cover Las Vegas. And her story is really poignant in and of itself. But the, the sightings continued throughout the night until 5.30 the next morning, the last report that I had was from, personally, from a Boeing crewman 
who shared that their entire crew came into work the next morning at 5.30 and one of these mile-wide craft was hovering over their tarmac. So we're talking about not only technology itself, but also the timing on this. It wasn't just one or two hours. It was many hours, over a dozen hours, and it was in four different states, okay? It wasn't just over Arizona. So when you look at the media reports, I mean, they just took a teeny-weeny slice of whatever and interpreted it or spun it, it, you know, know, they would spin it the way they wanted to spin it. But what was interesting is that there was no investigation, no explanation. After thousands of people see these things right over their heads, and again, in in May, the, the councilwoman vice mayor asked innocently for an investigation, but until June 18th, and I'm going to get to how these sightings affected people at a, at a really deep level, but I just want to get through the facts here so people know how the story unfolded, because that's fascinating in and of itself, I have to say. But June 18th, a front-page USA Today article, for the first time since March 13th, was opening up our mass sighting to international awareness. There was nothing before that. I mean, they were just really trying to put a lid on the whole thing, and suddenly it was out there. And overnight, and we didn't have social media in 97, okay? Right, but overnight yeah. it went viral. And by the next morning, I mean, it, the, the media from all over the world were, were interviewing witnesses, and their descriptions were so heartfelt and so detailed that they, too, were asking, why isn't there an investigation? I want to take just a moment to remind you that you're listening to Be More Now. I'm your host, Blake Moore, and I'm interviewing Dr. Lynn Kitai experiencer of the mysterious Phoenix Lights in March 1997. The irony is the governor of Arizona came on the air in a press conference with someone dressed in an ET suit saying, that's what I was found getting the culprit. to. But he was actually exactly. someone who saw it, and he later came out saying, I don't know what I saw. Yeah, it's very interesting because suddenly after nothing, that, that next day, the 19th of June, right after the next day, I mean, they were forced to do something. He calls, and the governor, Symington, called an unscheduled press conference for that afternoon. And people took it seriously, Blake. There were parents there. The media took it seriously. And he comes marching out, one of his aides, in a giant alien head costume and made a mockery of it. And to the witnesses, it wasn't a joke. They were really pissed off, I have to tell you. And, 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 it's, and actually the, the, the media was, too, I found out later on, who were in attendance because a number of media had seen the real deal. And they couldn't believe he was making a joke out of it, but it did put a lid on it. And it wasn't until a month later. And I, at that point, I called every military base to find out if they knew anything. I mean, I'm looking for a logical explanation here. And I have some of their conversations in my book, and they're quite comical. They were just as curious. They, they didn't know. I mean, the, one of them made a comment, and I tried to get as high up as I could in the rankings, and one said, well, the only people that know this is whoever did it in God. I mean, that was his answer. So at any rate, <laughs> I get a call a month later, and this is important data that I just wanted to share for your, for your listeners, from one of the heads of PR at the Air National Guard, and she says, oh, Dr. Lynn, I think we know what those lights were back in March, and I was thrilled. I said, well, she says, well, do you believe that in all these months, we're talking like five months here, 
of people talking about it here constantly every day, um, that nobody ever looked at the log for visiting Air National Guard. And the Maryland Air National Guard was in town sending off military illumination flares in Operation Snowbird, which I later found out in military terms means diversionary tactical maneuvers. So they very well might have been uh, sending off flares because they were very aware of what was going on, because at 8.30 that night, and we have civilians that saw this, jets were sent out to intercept and get gun camera film of one of these mile-wide craft right over central Phoenix. And as I got closer, and talk about technology, the lights dimmed, and then the entire thing blinked out. And then Luke Air Force Base was on lockdown after that. I mean, there's so much detail here that I'm even leaving out. This is just the highlight. Right. I mean, it, that, that's it, what I discovered as I was researching this show. I was You pick the lid up, and it just comes pouring out. But then, like I said, I go to something like Google, and I just went and said, well, it's a Wikipedia. Not that I trust Wikipedia. No, but it was Wikipedia, so interesting because your name is not you. even listed in Wikipedia. Yeah. Other than no, you're they, in the footnote. Wait, wait, wait. You are listed in the footnotes. You're the first footnote. So that's ironic right. that your name doesn't even list it, but your book and your movie both get included in there. Your, well, your, people your tried to put it in, but footage. they kept deleting it. <laughs> because they say reason. that the footage, yes, I, I imagine something like that, and then they say that the footage was so easily debunked, they were saying that they were putting, you know, and a they never talk picture. about the 35 millimeter photograph. Exactly, also, it's not even mentioned here, and right, it's also, but that's a whole other story. And I'm, right. I'm getting to your I'm getting to your answer. And I and I really also cool. love this because it's there's I know you are, and I just wanted to intersect for just a second because this idea that all of these people that saw, but yet on the Wikipedia study, it seems that very few of those people were even talked to by the military or by the official sources of research. It was just, this is what it is, all of y'all imagined it, or you saw this and you just aren't, don't know what you saw. Okay, now you keep talking. Right, right. <laughs> well, this is, this is where it really gets interesting because I said, she said, I, I said to her, well, wait a minute, when was, and this is really important data, because I said to her, well, you know, when was the Maryland Air National Guard in town? She said March 1st to the 15th. I said, were they in town in January? She says, oh, no. I said, are you sure? She said, absolutely not. I said, well, <laughs> my husband and I both witnessed and photographed the same exact phenomena two months before the mass sighting in the same exact location confirmed the morning after the January sighting. And, again, I called the air traffic controllers the morning after the mass sighting, and they confirmed it was the same exact phenomena in the same exact location over Class B restricted airspace. And she says, you never told me that, which I never did. I never gave them details. Right. And I said, and besides that, are you trying to tell me that flares, and by then I had educated myself to anything logical, which I was looking for, that drift and drop with the wind haphazardly from aircraft with a parachute that have huge smoke trails that are illuminated by the flare itself and, and illuminate the ground around it, which not one person, like not one, has come forward. And they might have sent flares to divert attention away because they were very aware of what was going on. But not one person has come forward that I'm aware of, and I've been doing, studying this for, you know, 25 years, um, to say that they saw flares being deployed. But be that as it may, I said, you're saying that flares that cannot keep a formation traverse the entire state of Arizona in a rock-solid, equidistantly spaced, mile-wide V for hours? And she says, uh, I have a call coming in. I'll get back to you. 
Well, I'm still waiting, Blake. <laughs> but at any rate, that that really got me. I mean, at that point, it was like, whoa, something's going on here. Three years later, and meanwhile, once thousands of people saw what I had been seeing, and after having that close sighting two years before, and not having that explained to me and being so unusual, I real it became a passion. I, I, I pushed my entire medical career aside to find a logical explanation for what I had witnessed in photographs. I have yet to find it. And I kept an intricate journal every single day of everything, of military comments, of um, media, of, of witnesses that I, that I got in contact with. Uh, the history, the history is, I mean, we can't even get into that today, is just absurd. I had no idea that this has been going on since human documentation began. In fact, I'm just going to give you a little, another serendipitous thing. Six months before the mass sighting, and I had no idea about this either, six months before the mass sighting, I was invited to present um, my substance abuse program to the Gila Bend, G-I-L-A, Gila Bend Indian Reservation, which is in a basin, and again, if you look at the photo page, you'll see the topography, between South Mountain on the left and then a few miles back is the Estrella Mountain Range, and in between is this basin, which is their very sacred ground. And when I started looking at the pictures after the mass sighting, this was six months later, I noticed that these phenomena kept popping up in 95 and, and two months before, during the mass sighting, right there where South Mountain and the, inter, and, and, uh, the Australians intersect. So I called the principal and I said, did anybody happen to see strange lights on March 13th? And they don't talk to outsiders, but I helped him out, and he was, he was pretty forthcoming at the time. And he, he said, well, actually, um, on March 13th, people were seeing them right above them <laughs> on March 13th. But he says, but we've been seeing them. He started to giggle, and I said, is that funny? And he says, well, we've been seeing them for, for centuries. We call them sky people, light beings. I had no idea. This is part of their culture. Indigenous peoples worldwide right. are very open to other intelligences. And even the Hopi right here in Arizona have protocols to invite these phenomena in. They're not frightened at all. And that's another thing I must, I must say right here is that in 25 years, there has not been one, not one report of harm, a credible report, of harm, threat, or abduction associated with the Phoenix Lights phenomena. Can't speak about other things. But, and that goes into the fact that not only was not one report of harm, threat, or abduction, but it was just the opposite. People were in awe. People were in wonder. People were curious, got out of their car, pulled over and got out of their cars. They, they, in fact, six months before, and I get into this in our documentary, which has won over a dozen international film festivals. We're very proud of, of that endeavor, but um, it's a real grassroots endeavor, but you can, you can hear from the people straight out, the, the witnesses and the, and the uh, experts and analyzing, that um, you know, six months before the mass sighting, the movie Independence Day was, was huge. And we are so inundated, and we get into this in the film, with threat, 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 and harm, 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 that Dr. Gary Schwartz, who's the head of the um, 
Consciousness Studies Department at the University of Arizona makes a very poignant statement. He says, if you're being inundated and, and primed to be fearful of something, how do you think you're going to be when you see that something, right? right so, kids, so children, yeah, so children were jumping up and down and up and down. Independence Day, Independence Day, when they saw this massive V coming towards them, but as it came closer, a calmness came over everyone, a connectiveness to the phenomena that after it passed, they wanted to run after it. They wanted their parents to get in the car and chase it. It's just when you look at that aspect, and by the way, half the book is about that aspect and more, because um, not only did it change people in real time, the transformation in real time, but long term as well. If we have time, we'll, we'll get into that and the connection between all unexplained phenomena that I realized after a number of witnesses said that they had had near-death experiences as children that was reawakened by the mass sighting. And I found that really powerful because I did too. And that's a whole other story because I get into my near-death experience at eight years old, which may have been, you know, I've been asked if I think that was the, the impetus or the, or, right. the, or the foundation for all of this. I don't know, but, but people can read it and, and decide for themselves. But um, the fact is that uh, I thought, geez, if, if people are having near-death experiences, children reawakened by the Phoenix Lights, and I did too, maybe there's a connection between all unexplained phenomena, whether it's near-death experience, out-of-body experience, unexplained aerial phenomena that have a mystical light associated with the experience. And or just behold, unexplained experience that's happened during meditation. You right, know, exactly, so many, exactly. Any so kind of, I call them an that, up. Right, yeah. and then we yeah. often want people in, in expanded psychedelic drug states have these experiences and then everyone says, well, that's because you were on psychedelics. And it's like, well, what if you're sitting in meditation, you have something very similar. Is that right. because of psychedelics? You're sitting exactly. in your backyard and something flies over. And I think that's what's so exciting and why I want you to have, again, why I wanted you on this show because this is coming up for everybody across the board and the spectrum of thought. And it's so exciting to have all of this information becoming more and more available where we get to make our decision. And it's interesting because exactly. I've talked to different people about you coming on the show and some of my own experiences, and it's amazing how many people say, oh, my gosh, me too. Because a lot of people don't want to talk about it because they're labeled as crazy. And well, that's there one you of go. the biggest challenges about all yes. of this stuff is we've been kind of forced into a silence by our communities of, or our extended communities of what's acceptable thought. And I feel like we're all busting out of those skins a little bit, and it's exciting. Now, good for you for doing this because, I, first of all, I call all those experiences, unexplained phenomena, and up, okay, because the positive transformation, the awakening, the enlightenment that happens within an individual that has those experiences is so, so mind-boggling and, and, and important, okay? But go, going back to what you just said, which is really, really important as well, not only, and again, I was open to anything because three years later, the, the um, uh, vice mayor uh, of, of Phoenix, Francis Barwood, uh, was running for secretary of state on a platform to get answers for the lights over Phoenix as a public safety issue and asking for a reenactment. And we were ready for it, okay? And if you go on the news page on the Phoenix Lights Network website and scroll down, you'll see AC family, like a block there. You'll see exactly what the military did, whether they thought they would confuse the issue or debunk it or whatever. Here was their shot, okay, if it was flares, because that's the only explanation that they ever came up with. They never, ever, ever 
even addressed the craft that people saw, okay, yeah. that thousands of people saw. But they tried, and it was a joke. I mean, it really put the nail in the co- coffin. And then after the 10th anniversary, as you mentioned earlier, the former governor who had mocked the sighting in 97 came forward to say he saw. He actually, as a pilot, a military-awarded pilot, uh, saw one of these craft, and it definitely wasn't flares. And in his own words, it was otherworldly. Well, after all that, I have to tell you, Blake, after coming up with a 750-page journal seven years later, I stayed anonymous, and I mean anonymous, for seven years. How could I not share this information? Like you said, there is so much mis- and disinformation out there. And in good conscience, not only as a scientist trying to be as scientific as I could, as a physician, to, to let people know that they're not crazy, even though most anomalies can be explained. Only a small percentage cannot. Just because we don't have the technology yet to definitively define what these things are, it doesn't mean they're not real. Right. We may just be looking on the AM dial for an FM frequency. Even the Navy pilots today, they, they, we don't have the technology to definitively define what these things are, but that doesn't mean they're not real. And as a, uh, certainly as an educator, I mean, uh, as, as an experiencer, uh, I knew what it felt like to to keep it inside, and it festers in a physician as well. I, I wanted people to know it's important to share. It's very cathartic to share. That's why this program is very important, and hopefully people will contact me. They do every day. I have to talk to <laughs> Phoenix Lights Network on Face page or um, through the website to share, because just sharing with one person is very healing. And then as an educator, how could I stick it in a drawer? So I finally condensed the best of what I found in that 750 Page journal came forward in 2004 with the first edition of the Phoenix Lights A Skeptic's Discovery that we are not alone, and uh, and now it's in its fourth print. And I I recommend the the ebook only because it has. Um, color pictures and live links so people can explore further. Um, and it's only like nine bucks or whatever. But the point is, and you can also, if you have Amazon Prime, you can watch the documentary for free, uh, The Phoenix Lights Beyond Top Secret. I just want the information out there and, and, it's, you know, and let people decide for themselves. I'm not trying to convince anyone right. of anything. It is what it is. Look at the data. You know, it speaks for itself, but right. decide for yourself. So well, I want to make um, sure that we have. That's where we are. Right, and I would love for you just to talk briefly because we're getting close to time, and I want to make sure we have time to put all those links again one more time at the end. But before you do that, just like you said, you've been doing work in terms of outreach in the community of people who have had had sightings, and they've come to you. And are you compiling with that? Have you put something out? Are you doing counseling? Are you running groups? What kind of information is coming through that way to you? I until COVID. Yeah, until COVID, actually, besides the book, The Phoenix Lights of Skeptics Discovery, that we are not alone, as well as the documentary, which is also uh, in its third um, version. And we have astronaut Edgar Mitchell and just wonderful, wonderful people that are so credible and just share um, share their, their stories and, and the facts. Um, and and that, that is out there, The Phoenix Lights Beyond Top Secret. And also what I was working on for like seven years, um, because I am an educator and I love educating young people, is I now have a graphic novel activities coloring book called the phoenix lights ufos and crop circles uh, graphic novel the adventures of sue fo field observer and hugh h-u-g-h-u-f-o and it's really for all ages 
Okay, and I, I, I did it purposely this way. I mean, there, it, it, not only do we get into the Phoenix Lights and the 10 different craft that people can color and iconic uh, historical pictures of, of UFOs and UFO sightings, as well as 80 crop circles, and I tried to pick the ones that were so complicated and, and just couldn't have been done by humans. I mean, we know humans are now trying to do them, but these are, these are amazing crop circles. And then we have puzzles and games and all kinds of stuff from easy to... To, to difficult for all ages, and my um, hope, and I know that it's happening already, um, is that teachers will use it in the classroom, which was my main goal, is to get a curriculum out there, but you know, you can only imagine how difficult that would be to do, so at least uh, different teachers that, that embrace, uh, there's a 150-page black and white copy and 160-page um, with some colored picture in there, in there as well, um, as well as parents and grandparents uh, just sitting down, and I had so many of them uh, tell me not only have they enjoyed it, but they'll sit down with their uh, siblings or, or uh, children or grandchildren and, um, and, and do it together. And it's, some, it's a way for them to connect with the topic as well and to open them up to the facts. And then they can go from there uh, if they wish to. So those three things are out there. I call them the, the Phoenix Lights Trilogy. Um, and I've been speaking worldwide as well until the, the uh, uh, COVID uh, hit us. Uh, I had to cancel a couple of um, big conferences. But uh, I am doing an online conference actually uh, on um, October the 4th, if you go to the Phoenix Lights Network Facebook page, uh, you can find the link there. Um, I'm only going to be on for an hour from, from 4 to, uh, to 5 on October the 4th, but um, it looks like a wonderful conference with some incredible people as well. Uh, so that, that I'm doing and some other things are coming up, but, um, you know, we're, it's, it's more popular than ever. And by the way, I should mention this, and you can find <laughs> his interview on the news page on uh, the Phoenix Lights Network website. When I called the uh, pilot, the um, air traffic controllers the next morning after the mass sighting, and they confirmed that it was the same exact phenomenon in the same exact location on, over Class B restricted airspace, they also shared that several pilots had called in, commercial pilots and a private pilot. And we just found out a couple years, years ago who that p- private pilot was after all this time. He finally came forward, and it was actor Kurt Russell. Oh, I don't know if you know that. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that's, that's kind of amazing that he saw the same exact thing. He saw the six lights in a V formation that I was filming at the same exact time on March 13, 1997, during the mass sighting. So there is much more to this story, and I hope people will check out the website. It is packed with information to, to explore and consider, Absolutely. and as well as the book and the documentary and the graphic novel. Right. Well, and they're all on Amazon, by the way. Yeah, everything's on Amazon, mm-hmm. and I will put the link to the site on the KZUX website. And I just want to say what a pleasure, Dr. Lynn. It, you, it's just you have so much information, and you also have a lot of passion. And I also appreciate your lack of zealotry because you definitely you experience something, but also the way that you hold space for 
that unknown place. You know, I think that until you've actually had your own personal sighting, it's very difficult to question the authorities that are already there. And I think we're questioning authority in so many places in our life. So I value your willingness to step out, like you say, and become a target of this information. So thank you for being so eloquent and telling your story. Well, I really appreciate that. And by the way, um, you don't have to have an up experience, an unexplained phenomena experience, to have that positive awakening and transformation. Mm. All you need to do, and it's so easy, really, is to open your heart and your mind and learn about it. And once you start really reading, that's why another reason I came forward with the book, because once, and I didn't even realize that this was happening to people until <laughs> I read the book, and, and I <laughs> had this feedback that, whoa, it changed their lives forever, even people that hadn't had an experience, because once you start realizing and again, it was, it's a very intricate, the first half is about the Phoenix Lights and the history about UFOs, but then the second half really gets into all this, uh, like, which we really didn't have time to get into today, of how it affects people at a very deep soul level and, and changes people forever, a connectedness to the universe and to the earth and to each other that is felt so profoundly for the first time in many of the witnesses of the Phoenix Lights. But it can also happen if you open your heart and your mind and you learn about it and you start really being open and you'll, you'll find that there are serpent serendipities out there that start happening that are just like amazing um, if you really have your eyes open to it and your, your heart and your mind open to it. So I hope that your listeners will, um, will take that and, uh, and enjoy the, the, uh, um, the data that's, that's out there. There's plenty out there and uh, keep looking up. All right, keep looking up. Fantastic. (laughs) Well, that about wraps up my interview with Dr. Lynn Kitai, author, filmmaker, and Phoenix Lights experiencer. For more information, listeners can visit the Phoenix Light Network at www.thephoenixlights.net. To listen to this show again or catch past episodes of Be More Now, go to Be More Now on the KZUX Public Affairs Programming section of the website and click on the Be More You archive link. I'll be back next month, November 19th, with Madison Madden, an Ayurvedic doctor and co-founder of Pacific Coast Ayurveda, a Gualala-based Ayurvedic health clinic. And... I want to make sure that you remember that we are doing a silent pledge drive here on KZYX. As many of you most likely already know, due to current health concerns, KZYX and Z cannot have its normal fundraising drive, and nor do we really want to interrupt crucial programming with a traditional fundraising drive at this time. So we're having a quiet drive in the hopes of raising enough money to meet our budget goal. Please become a member today as a way to let us know that you appreciate this less disruptive type of fundraising rather than a regular 10-day fundraising campaign. We have a few ways to donate, including sending your check to P.O. Box 1, Philo, California, 95466, or to go to the website and use the Donate button at our website is kzox.org. You can also call 707-895-2324 during business hours and press 5. We've got a bunch, as always, of great thank you gifts available, including KZWX socks, bandanas, and tote bags, emergency Eton solar and crank-powered radios, and KZWX and Z masks. The masks are navy blue. 
100% organic cotton, hypoallergenic, and they have adjustable ear loops. The masks come with a $35 donation. You can view our thank you gifts and give on our website, kzwex.org. Well, that about wraps up Be More Now for this evening. I hope you have a lovely rest of your evening and sending you lots of positive thoughts and sanity and ease during these very unusual and transformative times. Have a great evening. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening. Yeah.